I'm excited about something tonight that I'm going to bring to you. I hope it blesses you like it blessed me. And if it doesn't bless you like it blessed me, at least one of us will be blessed. Amen. You can just remain seated because I'm going to read long, but I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 15. It's a very familiar scripture, very familiar reading, and it's the story of Abram, and we're going to just, it's really important that I read it all to get an understanding of where I'm headed tonight. So just stay with me if you will. Genesis chapter 15 beginning at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, watch this now. You you would think that just what God just told him would be enough. But Abram's wanting to seal the deal here. And he said, What wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, That this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the Ur of Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, and a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that's not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom thou shalt serve will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark. Behold a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant. Everybody say covenant. The Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaims, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Everybody say amen to the reading of the word. See, I just did your daily Bible reading for you. I want to talk to you tonight for just a little while, and I I need you to just stay with me. I want to talk to you about 10 steps to covenant. 10 steps to covenant. God loves his people. We are his creation. And he desires that we live in right relationship with him. God knows that he will have to make the first moves. And he's done so. In the powerful old covenant, 
that he made with Abraham, you and I are named as beneficiaries. It's time that we realize that God's promise to us through Father Abraham still is alive and well today. I want you to understand as a child of God, you have the promise of covenant with heaven. God spoke to Abram and he said to him, I need you to get out of your country unto a land that I will show thee and I will make thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. I think it's very important for us to understand as children of God that God will force us out of our comfort zone in order to bless us. Abram did just like God told him to do. And sometime after God called Abram to follow him, the two were conversing one day. God reminded Abram of that original promise of the land that I just read to you. And Abram asked the question, how he could be certain that God would come through with his part of the deal. And God said... Get a heifer? Get a heifer? Who knew that a heifer would seal the covenant? Abram's heart pounded with excitement because he understood what God meant. You see, the contract was about to be signed. God's love was about to be manifested in the life of Abram. Let's listen for a minute as I get to the ten steps of the covenant about, let's listen to the conversation if we could. Abram has left his family. He's left Ur of Chaldees, his home country, to follow God to some unchartered territory. God wouldn't even tell him where he was going, but God did promise him real estate, and Abram was expectant of that, and So here's the conversation. I'm here, God, and ready for all that you've promised me. Is there anybody here waiting for the promise of God in your life? Hey, listen, I don't know what's wrong with y'all tonight. Are you cold or you sleepy or we need to just liven up a little bit here tonight. Let's clap our hands to the Lord and let's give God praise. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Oh, praise God. God says to Abram, go get a heifer, a three-year-old heifer. Now, I'd be surprised by God's request, but it was no surprise to Abram. You see, sacrificing a heifer was the language of contracts in those days. With those words, Abram knew that he was about to make a contract with a holy God. Everything that he expected and more was about to be formalized with God himself. You see, making covenant was a big deal in the Middle East. The Middle Eastern world, it was a practice called making covenant or cutting covenant. It was common. A covenant was all encompassing. It covered the whole gamut between two parties. And you'll see how it fits into your covenant with God in just a minute. The closest comparison that I could give you in modern culture is marriage. But with the current prevalence of divorce, even marriage doesn't compare. Once a person entered into a covenant in the ancient Middle Eastern world, specifically the blood covenant, he or she could not be released. In the culture of Abraham or Abram, it was common for tribal chiefs or heads of cities or states to enter into covenants or alliances with one another. So when God wanted to communicate to humanity, 
He used the covenant because it was a vehicle that people would immediately understand. God had a desire to show His love to His people. I tell you today that God has a desire to show His love to this generation. To the 21st century church, God wants you to be blessed. After the fall of Adam and Eve, and at the time of Abram, creation had gone awry. Put simply, people continued to sin against God. Making covenant would be the way that God would demonstrate His love for humanity. Entering into a covenant was a language that the people of Abram's culture would understand. The covenant-making ceremony was an agreement between two parties that was made publicly. In fact, covenants were usually made at the gates of the city or in open fields before a crowd of witnesses. Now, why would God use such an unusual, human-comprehended ritual? It's very simple, really. God loved Adam and Eve. God loved His people. God desired to give His people a perpetual promise to show His love and to give them hope. Our God is a loving, caring, giving God. Ah, somebody that's experienced that ought to praise Him right now. Making covenant involved ten steps. And this is where it's going to get good. I hope that you will grasp where where I'm going tonight. The first step in making a covenant was the exchange of robes. They represented, listen to me here, an exchange of identity. Do you want to finish this? Two parties would take their outer garments and exchange them. Let's say Stephen and Jordan. Stephen and Jordan would make covenant, they exchange outer garments. If someone saw those partners from a distance, he or she might say, here comes Stephen, or here comes Jordan. But wait, he doesn't walk like Stephen. He doesn't talk like Stephen. Oh, God. He's not built like Jordan. He's not... But isn't that Jordan's robe that Stephen is wearing? Come on, I want somebody to get this right now. In covenant, there's an exchange of garment. The Bible said uh, we're going to take off uh, the old man and we're going to exchange garments uh, for a robe of righteousness. Uh, Come on. When they see you walking down the street and they know you're in covenant, uh, it won't be with Stephen or Jordan. When they see you walking down the street, you put on the robe of righteousness. Uh, they'll say, look, uh, here comes a child of God. Uh, they look just like Jesus. I told you it was going to get good. Now, listen to this. The exchange of robes represented a confusion of identity. 
see, when you take off the world and you put on Jesus. Oh, the way they used to see you, they don't see you that way anymore. The apostle said it like this. The old man is passed away and all things have become new. Oh, wait just a minute. Are you saying, Bishop, I'm confused about my identity? No, ma'am. No, sir. Not if you understand when you take off the robe of the world and you put on the robe of righteousness, you change your identity. You're not who you used to be anymore. Come on. It's why it's important for you to keep on the right robe. We don't believe in holiness just because we're Pentecostal. We believe in holiness because it confuses the devil. It lets him know, I don't identify with you anymore. I I'm in covenant with Jesus. Come on and praise God right now. Woo! I'm glad I got a new robe on. I'm glad there's a new name written down in glory. And it's mine. Yes, it's mine. You can be seated. The second step to covenant was the exchange of belts. Now, that represented an exchange of strength. The covenant partners would literally trade belts. Now, those belts were larger than the ones we wear today. And they were the place which military gear was hung. Exchanging them. Oh, I love this. Exchanging those belts symbolized the sharing of strengths or assets. When I went into covenant with somebody, if we exchanged belts, my covenant partner would be saying to me, Bishop, Everything I bring to this relationship is now yours. And everything you have is now mine. Our strengths and our assets are now combined. Oh, I hope you'll get this. You see, when God made a covenant with Abram, God was saying, when they see you, they'll see me. And my strength will be yours. Oh, somebody needs to trade belts tonight. You need to exchange belts. You see the assets of the kingdom. When you're in covenant with God, they belong to you. Yeah, anything you need, just understand you have access by covenant to his strength. Watch now. The third step exchange of weapons the third step in covenant making was the exchange of weapons that hung on the belt it would symbolize oh i love this an exchange of enemies my covenant partner would be saying if anybody comes against you he or she is going to have to get by me first. Because now we're partners. We're in covenant together. And my task is to protect you. And I'll be your protector as well. Oh, can I just speak to the church? You're in covenant with an almighty God. 
Your task is to protect your brother. Your task is to protect your sister. Your task is to protect the integrity of the kingdom. Put on the belt. Put on the weapons and understand I'm in covenant with God and he's for me and I'm for him. Come on, praise him right now. Now watch this. You you be seated. In truth, it's what loyal friends naturally do. But now, in this unbreakable covenant, the two parties become as one. Again, the marriage covenant of today is the closest thing that we have to this. The two become one. Oh, I'm glad that I don't have to fight one more battle by myself. I'm glad there's not one more enemy that can come against me because I'm in covenant with him and he's in covenant with me. Come on, somebody. I'll get to how we get that covenant in a little bit, but I'm telling you, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Come on, God's got your back. I said God's got your back. Oh, it's feeling a little better in here. Step number four, the blood sacrifice. The fourth step was the sacrifice of an animal or several animals. The animal must be cut. The sacrifice of the animal is why we term this kind of covenant the blood covenant. Before this exchange with Abram, God had made other covenants with mankind. A few of them we recognize. The Edenic covenant that mankind would rule over the earth. The Adamic covenant, Eve's son, would eventually prevail. And then the Noahic covenant, Noah would start the human race over again and God would not destroy it until the end. Then came the Abrahamic covenant. It's the most significant to you and I today. Why? Well, there are three major reasons. Number one, it's the blood covenant. So it will never be broken and it will surely come to pass. Number two, it is an everlasting covenant forever and ever and you and I can count on it to last forever and ever. And number three, God made the covenant to Abraham and to all of Abraham's descendants. And guess what? We are Abraham's descendants. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end of the promise might be sure to all seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, the scripture said. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Back to the details. God's covenant with Abraham, or Abram rather, was a blood covenant. And every time a blood covenant was made, a sacrifice was needed. Life must be given and blood must be shed. When God asked Abram to get a heifer, Abram did not say, 
a heifer? God, you want me to get you a beef? I, I, I wanted a contract. What about the land you promised? No, Abram knew and understood that the heifer was a contract. An irrevocable contract. This covenant with Abraham, God changed Abram's name to Abraham in Genesis 17 and 5. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But it was the beginning covenant which was ultimately and infinitely fulfilled with the sacrifice of His Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. Step five. The walk of death. The fifth step was the walk of death. Now, normally a heifer would be laid on its back, sliced down the underside of its belly, Its legs would then be folded out so that the animal was completely flat on the ground. Abram did this with the heifer and with the goat and with the ram. He cut them in two and laid each half opposite each other. And it's at this point in the ceremony the covenant partners stood facing each other in an open field. The animal lay cut open between them. Then the partners literally walked through the mass of blood. One would walk through and come back on the left side. And the other would walk through turning toward the right. And together They patterned a figure eight. And remember, this ritual was making covenant. It was common in those days between men. I suppose that's why the Bible doesn't go into every detail. Today, if I said that two men entered into a contract, you'd naturally know that words were written on paper Two men signed their names on the paper and they shook hands. Further, the contract would be notarized by an independent third party. And all I said was two men entered into a contract and you knew what happened. In Scripture, when it says he cut the animals... And then a horror of great darkness fell upon Abram. It is enough to know that God and Abram had went through the walk of death together. They literally, the Bible said, and, and I'll talk about it in a minute, but the Bible said that there was a divine meeting between the sacrifice. I want you to know as a child of God tonight that God wants us to realize that without sacrifice, there can be no covenant. Step number six, mark on the body. The sixth step in the covenant Making ceremony was a mark placed on the body in the old culture. It was, they called it, the striking of hands. In the Hebrew culture, the hand includes what we would call the wrist. The covenant partners made an incision on their wrist. And the two would then put their wrists together, mingling their blood in what is called The striking of hands. Some primitive cultures still practice this. Taking an abrasive substance like gunpowder and rubbing it in to darken the area under the skin. Making the wound more pronounced so that there is a permanent mark on the body. Oh, I hear that old prophet saying, He was wounded for our transgressions. 
He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. I hear Thomas saying, If it's really you, let me see. Let me feel the holes in your hand. Let me touch the hole in you. Come on, somebody. Jesus held those hands out and there they were. The scars that said, this is my covenant with my new covenant church. This paid the price and sealed the deal. So they continued on. Some traditions of that modern custom of waving our hand in greeting originates from the practice of raising hands in such a way that when you waved, they could tell you were in covenant with somebody. Ah, oh, you didn't hear me, did you? I said when they waved their hands. I said when they waved their hands. You could tell they were in covenant with somebody. Oh, I said when they waved their hand, you could tell they were in covenant with somebody. We don't just do this to go through spiritual calisthenics. We lift our hands. We lift our voice. We move our feet. We shout. We sing because we're in covenant with an almighty God and we want the world to know I identify with him by doing so one person let another know she or he had a covenant partner suggests that the origin of the hand clasp as in the shaking of hands comes from the cutting of the covenant. Two individuals would clasp hands as the blood from their freshly cut wrist flowed together. The covenant mark on the wrist or palms might be what is referred to in Isaiah 49 and 16 that says, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. Ah, oh, when he held that hand out there, Pastor, you know what it said? It said, Danny St. Clair. Ah, oh, Luke St. Clair. Ah, oh, come on now. Hallelujah. It said, Jocelyn St. Clair. Come on. It said Gloria Bess. See that right there? That's got your name on it. Come on. It said LG Gentry. That score right there is my covenant with you. Oh, come on, somebody. I wish you'd get a hold of that. He's inscribed you. On the palms of his hands. Step number seven. The pronunciation of blessings and curses. The seventh step in the covenant making was the pronouncement of blessings and curses. It occurred in the presence of the witnesses after the cutting of the heifer. Walking through the pieces and striking the hands. At this point in the ceremony... The partners faced one another and each said these words. So long as you keep the terms of this covenant, blessed shall you be when you go out and when you come in. But if you violate the terms of this covenant, cursed shall you be when you rise up and lay down. 
Cursed shall, you be, shall be your wife and your children. Cursed shall be your oxen and your donkeys and your land. And on and on and on he would go. And when he had ended, his partner would pronounce the same blessings and curses. And these pronouncements signified that the two people, watch it now, were entering into oneness. And then number eight. Oh, we, we, we Pentecostals like this one. Number eight. The eighth step was the covenant meal. The covenant partners sat at a table before the witnesses and shared a meal. But the partners didn't begin by feeding themselves. They fed each other the first few bites. Saying something like this. As you are ingesting this food. You are ingesting me. You are taking me into your life. When a bride and groom. I, I didn't realize this. When a bride and groom. Feed each other. The wedding cake. The act is symbolic. It's a covenant making ceremony. Maybe that's why some of them don't make it when they cram that cake in their mouth. But when they exchange that cake and the bride gives the groom the cake... And the groom gives the bride the cake. It's a sign of covenant making. You're mine and I'm yours. Oh, but wait just a minute. It's bigger than that. Pastor just taught us about it just a few days ago. You see, in the covenant, Jesus bring, it brings to mind the words of the Master. When Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood. Come on, somebody said that communion's not necessary and communion's not important. But I want you to listen to the words the Bible said. Jesus said it. Ah, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood. Watch what it says. Hath eternal life. Come on. I'm telling you that communion is salvific. Hear me right now. I believe if you don't partake of the blood and the body of Christ, you can't be saved. You, 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 can't, you can't say that, Bishop. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. Come on. And I will raise him up in the last day. Come on, somebody say you got to have the blood. And you got to have the body. If you're going to make it in the rapture. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. Friends, brothers, sisters, hear me. God entered into a covenant with Abraham an everlasting covenant and through Christ Jesus God has entered into a covenant with you. If you agree to abide by that covenant then hear it God's identity becomes your identity. God's strength becomes your strength. 
God's weapons become your weapons. Your enemies will become God's enemies. And God's pronouncement of blessings and curses apply to you. The covenant meal is your signature of acceptance. And then step number nine. Just stay with me. We've only been here just a short time. Step number nine is the exchange of names. The partners once again stood facing each other in the open field. Let's suppose I was making a covenant with someone named Bob Smith. I would say, Bob, in order to let my enemies know who my covenant partner is, I will take your name and put it in the middle of mine. No longer will I be known simply as Danny St. Clair. From this moment, I will be known as Danny Smith St. Clair. This name change is precisely what occurred when God made covenant with Abram. The man's name changed from Abram to Abraham. The two letters that are added are A-H. Which come from Yahweh. The name of God that appears approximately 6,800 times in the Old Testament. It is spelled in the Hebrew, capital Y, capital H, capital W, capital H. We pronounce it Jehovah. While reading your Old Testament, when you see Lord spelled with all capitals, it's God's name, Yahweh. God doesn't stop there. True to making covenant, God takes Abraham's name. Ah, watch it now. From this point on, he calls himself the God of Abraham. Watch what he does. He doesn't leave Sarah out either. It's Sarai, but he changes her name to Sarah. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you that when you repent of your sins and you get baptized in the name of Jesus and he fills you with the Holy Ghost, amen, you can walk around and you can put Jesus in the middle of it all. Come on, come on, you got a new name. I said you got a new name. In the covenant, you get a new name. You may see that I'm just about done. Now, God and Abraham are now eternally inseparable. The blood covenant is almost complete. When it's complete, then these two, God and Abraham, will be eternally inseparable. Only one more step to go. One more thing for Abraham to do. The tenth step in making covenant is a very important one. It is such a big step that I need to take one service and talk about it, but I won't. It is the exchange. It is the exchange of the oldest male child. 
The final step. Tradition stated that in order to seal the agreement, to prove that the covenant was for real, the partners would exchange oldest sons. Wow. The sons would actually move in to the home of the covenant partner to be raised. It was a painful event, but one that would prove that the covenant was for real. In the most painful test of his lifetime, Abraham lived out this last step of covenant partnership. Genesis 22 and 1 and 2 And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now, I might have replied back to God, are, are you sure about this? But Abraham didn't balk. Abraham didn't talk back. He knew what God knew. The exchanging sons was part of the covenant-making ceremony. The sacrifice of Isaac, we all know it. If Abraham was going to receive what God promised him, he had to give his son to God. So Abraham headed up the mountain with the unaware and innocent Isaac at his side. Eventually the young man asked his father where they would get the animal that they were to sacrifice. Yahweh Jireh, Abraham answered, God will provide. The moment of truth arrived and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Abraham then raised the knife. Hebrews 11 and 17 tells us that in his heart, Abraham had already sacrificed Isaac. Knowing that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. I found it intriguing that in 22 and 4 of Genesis It tells us on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. In other words, in Abraham's heart, Isaac had already been dead. Figuratively speaking, for three days, God resurrected him again figuratively on the third day. By faith, the Bible said, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. How could Abraham, the father of Isaac, do this? Scripture gives us a a glimpse into Abraham's thinking. Isaac was his only son. Yet Abraham knew that God had promised him that his descendants would come through the line of Isaac and outnumber the stars in heaven. The scripture said in Hebrews 11 and 19, he considered that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Abraham's confidence in a covenant-keeping God was so great that he believed God would give Isaac back to him through resurrection. In fact, God, when he stopped Abraham from sacrificing, Isaac was saying, Abraham, I've seen your heart. It's as if you've already sacrificed him. And you know that I would have to resurrect him since he's the promised child. 
And your confidence in me is so great. You really believe I'll do exactly that. So let's save both of us some time. You don't need to go any further in this ceremony. Stop now. Lay down the knife. You've already passed the test. And because Abraham was faithful in God's promises and didn't withhold the son Isaac, God was sure of Abraham's commitment to the covenant. God declares his eternal blessing upon Abraham and his descendants. Now, I'm coming to a close. You say, well, Bishop, that's all fine and good. But what about us? I want you to hear me tonight and know that certainly in the New Testament there is a parallel sacrifice. God would not require of one generation of people something that he would dismiss us from. I've thought a lot about Abraham's sacrifice as, of, as have all of you. Abraham knew that God had promised that Isaac would be the son, would be the beginning of a great nation. And yet Abraham so trusted God that he was willing to obey God even to the point of sacrificing Isaac's life. I want to share just one more thing with you here. You see, when God enters into a covenant, He does it all the way. With excellence. With completeness. So, recognizing the marriage covenant between Abram and Sarai, the two became one. He changes their names and puts himself in the middle of it all. And I want you to hear me tonight as families in this building. God wants you in covenant with Him because He wants to live in the middle of you and your family. God hasn't asked us to kill ourselves. But He has asked us to put Him first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Not seek large bank accounts, high profile jobs, Worldly stuff, etc. Your sacrifice is to put God first. It's a precious sacrifice. I need to ask you a question. Do you trust God? God gave His Son. Don't get scared about that. Ultimately, this exchange of the oldest male child would be paralleled in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that inaugurated the new covenant. God said, in effect, Abraham, because you gave up your only child, now I'll give up my only child. It is a powerful Revolutionary truth of the covenant. Isaac likely carried the wood for the sacrifice of his own body to a hill named Mount Moriah. Likewise, Jesus carried the wood across for the sacrifice of his own body up the hill to a place known as Golgotha. The place of the skull. And just like Isaac was dead for three days in Abraham's heart, Jesus too was in the tomb for three days and then came the resurrection. And when Abraham offered Isaac, God was satisfied. The covenant has been tested. God in essence said, I will stand now 
the covenant is firm. God told Abraham in 22 and 17, Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. There's a significance of those gates. We've talked about it, preached about it. In Bible times, the elders of the city would sit by the gates and determining who entered and who left. They controlled all the commerce. They controlled all political life. The gatekeepers controlled the city. And God promises Abraham that his descendants would possess the gates even of their enemies. The gates of Hades shall not overpower. So what do the gates have to do with anything in our time? You know the story. Jesus asked them, who do men say that I am? The Son of Man am. In other words, he's saying, what's the report? What's the news saying about me? And he looks at one Simon Peter and he says, who do you say I am? Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it became very quiet. No one had ever stated that before. But Peter was always the first to speak. And tragically often said something stupid, but not this time. Peter was right on. And Jesus quickly responds to Peter. What's he do? He changes his name. I said he changes his name. Thou shalt no longer be called Simon. Thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Pastor said this this weekend. On this rock, the, the Greek word is petra, rock. Upon this rock of revelation that Jesus is the son of the living God, Jesus will build his church. And what's more tonight as a people in covenant, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In fact, because you're in covenant with Him and His weapons are your weapons, His strengths are your strengths, His power is your power, you will go in and rip the gates right off the hinges. In other words, the church has authority, covenant authority. Stand with me. We have the keys. We control not only our city, but the enemy's city as well. We can put a stop to what the enemy is doing. And when we pray, speak, or declare God's will, God backs us up because we're in covenant with Him. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I want you to say this with me as I close. God's identity is my identity. God's strength is my strength. God's weapons are my weapons. My enemies are God's enemies. God's pronouncement of blessings and curses are mine. And God's name is my shield in Jesus' name. Would you give Him praise? Come on, praise Him. Are you thankful for your covenant with Him? Oh, hallelujah. Praise your God. Praise your God. 
Amen. It's not a temporary covenant. It's an eternal covenant. And he said, I'll go with you even to the end of the world. It's yours tonight, church family.